and welcome to episode 14 of the Conversations in the Park podcast, a place for meaningful discussions about mobility created by Y Mobility. I'm Brittany Atkins, your host and resident mobility enthusiast. Today, we've brought together three amazing guests to discuss the investment landscape of urban mobility. Looking through a European lens, we want to talk about how it impacts companies in the mobility industry, especially startups. We're happy to once again be collaborating with the EIT Mobility as our sponsor. So settle down, get comfy and let's get started. My first guest today is Taryn Anderson, CEO and co-founder of Impulse for Women. Thank you so much for joining us, Taryn. Would you be able to give a little introduction to yourself and what you do for our listeners? Thank you very much, Brittany, and thank you very much for inviting me to this amazing uh, podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. I started my background in the private banking, then I moved to the venture capital in 2016. Uh, we are investing in the United States and Canada through TH Capital since 2008. And in 2017, I built up uh, Impulse for Women, a matchmaking platform like a professional Tinder, where we are connecting female lead tech entrepreneurs and social impact projects with investors, covering all lifetime average. And also, I'm jury member of the EIC now the Accelerator Programme, since 2008. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you so much. Sounds like you've been busy. <laughs> and not a stranger to our audience, David Fidelgo, CEO of Y Mobility and former host and founder of this podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, David. But it still, you know, as familiar as we may be with you, Still wouldn't hurt for you to give us a little introduction and perhaps an update on what you've been up to most recently, please. Yeah, thank you, Brittany. So basically, yes, I'm the CEO founder of Y Mobility. We, uh, as I said, Y Mobility is uh, advisory consultancy services helping people through the transformation of mobility with two main pillars is technology and then business strategy. And we've been uh, talking on mobility and how we can move there into more software-centric mobility for the last five years. And basically, um, as I said, as most of the people uh, that he met me know about me, we like to basically have discussions because I think education is a really important thing on the, on the world we're living. And investment is really interesting as well, uh, education and investment. So I'm really happy to be here to have a conversation with Tyring and with Pablo. Thank you so much, David. And last but not least, we have Pablo Garrido. Please, could you introduce us? Sure. Thank you, Brittany. And hi, everyone. Um, this is Pablo Garrido. I am the investment manager at EHU Urban Mobility, where I actually manage our investments programs, which in turn develop our financial sustainability mechanisms. Um, I have also built our venture fund uh, portfolio construction and together with our business creation colleagues, we have developed an impact measurement framework. Um, last but not least, I also oversee and moderate the investment committees, which we normally run between five to six times per year. A little bit about myself, I'm a venture capitalist uh, with passion for entrepreneurship and sustainability and those topics which have a real environmental impact. I have a background in corporate banking and early stage financial instruments for the past 10 years. And I actually strive for investments that aim to instill positive social and environmental impact, and of course, with a financial return. So that's everything from the side, Brittany. 
It's what we like to hear. Thank you so much for your introduction. And yeah, thank you again, Taryn and Pablo, for being with us and joining us on our conversation today. We're very much looking forward to seeing what you bring to the table. So I want to start with looking at some of the most recent investment news happening in the mobility industry, especially when it comes to startups. So we've seen this month that Israeli-based startup Innoviz is partnering with Volkswagen to provide sensors and software to automated vehicles. Very exciting. And New York headquartered Autonomy.io has raised just over $3 million to help solve delivery problems using autonomous robots, which is also very exciting. We like to start these conversations with a little inspiration. So what are some of the exciting startups that you've seen? Perhaps you think they're exciting because of what they're offering or momentum they're making when it comes to funding and gaining investors. So that goes to any of the three of you, any startups or uh, exciting investment stories that we should be aware of. I may take this one if uh, that works for you, Bridget. Yeah, please go. So I believe that there is a, you know, a macro situation where the global economic downturn isn't just bad for shareholders of public companies. I think that we are facing an era where the end of cheap capital has affected the startup ecosystem as well. I, we are witnessing uh, that valuations have come under pressure and venture capital firms and early stage investors have become more selective. So what are the effects on, on startups? I truly believe that startups will grow slower, doer to fewer capital available and in some cases for some specific industries and sectors, also fewer customers. I believe that startups shall be prepared, therefore, to cut costs and extend their runway. As regardless of their ability and attractiveness to fundraise, I think companies should be able to survive without any kind of rush, uh, like raising capital within the next 12 to 18 months. And we are actually given, you know, like extra points in our selection criteria, in our evaluation panels to companies which can prove that they're capital efficient. On a different front, I believe that impact is fundamental these days, at least in the European early stage funding market, because impact is investing is no longer the arena just for philanthropists and business angels. I think that much larger institutional investors have taken to the field and we are seeing a professionalization and a more mature ecosystem where impact makes a difference. So in our case at EH Urban Mobility, we are giving a lot of attention to how companies actually plan to implement their impact dimensions, sustainability, social, and so on. But we are also you know, considering a sound financial management to ensure that we have a big risk element when picking up companies for investments. Thank you, Pablo. You've already answered the first question I wanted to ask you, which is brilliant. You've like, seen to my mind, I wanted to ask you about where do you think the investment landscape is headed? So thank you for giving us your insight into that. Taryn, from uh, a side of supporting startups, are you seeing any trends on the flip side of that coin on what founders are looking for from investors? Pablo has touched a little on what the investors are perhaps looking for from founders. Um, but on the other side, what are you seeing founders really appreciate in investors other than just the cash to support their mission? 
Well, uh, for sure, every day more and more the, this uh, progress, as we were talking, not only in the social impact, also in the knowledge of the startups when in, when uh, they are coming in front of an investor and perceive that they already have made us a little bit of homework to analyze what, who are the, the VCs, where are they investing, which locations, which sectors, and which maturity. That's the most important thing. Startups today... They are not only looking for money, they're also looking for smart money, people and uh, investors that they could help them. If they're searching for business angels, they want those business angels that they will connect them with another one and they will help them to grow in bringing potential clients or also another potential investors, not only for this round, also probably for the early stage venture capital round. And also, in order to keep growing, I think that is an add value and it's a must from the investment side to, to help those startups to grow. Basically, with the funds, we have seen, uh, well, after a track record, you have seen a lot of different strategies. You know which ones, which mistakes they have made the startups and which ones were uh, a good solution or not. And uh, you can also provide this type of advice to them. So I think that there is a, it's very important to have like um, kind of feeling in love startups and investors because they were, it's a long run way until you, you split off probably could be like five years. I'm talking now like a venture cap, early stage venture capital perspective. Thank you. Yeah, That's a really nice picture that you painted. Thank you, Taryn. David, as the connector of all people in mobility, which Taryn has touched on as being important. Um, and also a man that's very passionate. I think you're good at painting a picture of love between companies and individuals and the networks that they need. Is there anything else that you're seeing kind of sitting in the middle of both these audiences, both the investors and founders on what's what's important um, from both of them at the moment? I, I think to... Complementing a little bit with Tyron said and Pablo said, it need that particular um, support into the journey of love, right? Because basically, I think some of the challenges that the startups have, or we're going to have it in recently with the trends that we have as well, it's who is uh, how it could be going with me through the whole journey, right? Providing me guidance and providing me finance. I think one of the challenges we we seen with the startups is you finish one round and then you're looking who you're going to be partner and strategically relationship with which partner for the next one right and i think it's something that understanding uh, having a good understanding of the landscape but having as well a good understanding between the investor and the founder as well uh, on to how they can support it through the journey they need to go and then how uh, the market is changing because for me, the more important thing is when the market is changing, basically both the fund investor need to actually get an agreement that the market is changing and then understanding how they actually can uh, keep maintaining their return of investment that both actually are putting into the, the company. So for me, it's that, that long-term relationship that an investor need to actually have with the founder and the same thing for the founder to the investor, right? Because at this moment in time is that you have this particular... I don't think it's actually a legend, but it's true that basically you are um, you go to certain number of investments for certain numbers of stages as well, and you need to select quite carefully who you go into as well to ensure your growth as well. So I think that relationship with them and that actually understanding of the different stages and 
accompanying them through the whole process is the thing that a lot of them, uh, I think, is is the area that that, that I see that it need to be actually um, more look at to understanding how we can help all the journey. Thank you, David. There's so many parallels with dating. I feel like this could be one of two podcasts. <laughs> it's the same thing, basically. <laughs> exactly the same thing. Um, both, well, all of you have, I know all of you are very passionate about um, mobility businesses that are really making, a, you know, a positive social impact. And Pablo and Taryn, you've already both touched on this. So I want us to talk a little more about that. Taryn, what more could investors be doing from your perspective to find and fund the innovations that will make the biggest positive impact in this world? Actually, the way that we get a deal flow is uh, we're not going to after it unless that we want something specifically. Maybe because we are in the market since 2008, and this is my Mm. point of view. Uh, we receive from our co-lead investors in other startups, uh, from our portfolio of startups, uh, we are receiving deal flow from them. And normally those that we are investing is coming from a friend or an investment, what, an investment investor friend. We have also deal flow coming from our startups. They are recommending another one. Besides, uh, we do have good relationships with incubators and accelerators. and we receive a lot of deal flow from LinkedIn. In our particular case, we receive 1,500 startups per year without doing anything at all. So it's difficult that we go out to the market and try to search for startups unless because it's already coming in. It's not difficult for us. And once that you got the good contacts, and uh, it's uh, easy. What we could do, maybe if I'm interested now in Metaverse, I will go after and try to search and call my colleagues, uh, venture capitals, that they're investing already in Metaverse and ask them what are they doing, which deal flow do they receive. But uh, in our portfolios, we do have like a percentage of the money is going to a, a vertical so normally, if I see that I there is a round of a startup of half a million euros or dollars, and I want to just get half of it, I will call my friend and ask them to review this uh, startup just in case that they would like to to come and call it with me that round. That's how we are working. Thank you, Taryn. So much back to connection again. I feel like that's going to very much be the theme of this conversation. Pablo, could you tell us a little about some of the initiatives that EIT Urban Mobility is running in the investment space, perhaps especially for uh, younger companies or startups or some that you think are likely to make a real, you know, huge positive difference to the mobility industry? Sure. Um, let me start with a side note just to say that it seems like Tarim and I work in the same fund because we also scout approximately 1,500 <laughs> uh, like companies per year because we have a selection rate between 3 to 4%, which is, you know, like the standard in the venture capital landscape. And we are using a lot of different, you know, data scouting platforms to actually reach to that number. And second, similar to Tarin's comments as well, we also have verticals uh, in pursuit of building our uh, portfolio building strategy, which has, of course, you know, 
uh, a diversification factor by uh, investment stage, by sector, by geography, by business model, and so on. So it seems like we both speak uh, the same language. Um, that being said, at EAT Urban Mobility, we offer what I deem a full spectrum of services which aim to support mobility ventures from incubation, acceleration, and also scale-up programs. And these programs are both, you know, with financial support and without financial support, but real mentoring services and advisory services to get fast-track connections to the most prominent uh, mobility stakeholders in Europe. Um, thanks to that, we are actually co-joining or co-running these programs with the most prominent early stage players in Europe, such as Utanimatum and SpinLab, just to name a few. The, the goal of these programs is to sharpen both the technology readiness level and the investability readiness level of these participants. And as a result, we often invest in these companies following their graduation. Um, besides, we often receive referrals from early stage investors from pan-European countries with whom we co-invest on a party passu basis. And that is often, you know, the case because we believe that the knowledge, the expertise and the network effects caused by these co-investing uh, opportunities are often, you know, a multiplier to maximize the return on investment that we can have in these companies in their own way. Let me continue this with uh, these with this, uh, impact-driven initiatives. Um, Ethereum Mobility has ambition to become one of the largest impact-driven funds in Europe, and therefore we only make investments with a social and environmental impact. And in 2012, uh, sorry, 2022, and we have invested to date in more than 15 startups that are not only financially successful, but also changing the world for the better using a scalable business model with some unit economics. And this is what we normally uh, strive to find in, uh, in the European markets. That's brilliant. And we've started touching a little on geography. So I want to continue that trend of thought. David, when founders are asking you for advice, what kind of trends are you seeing in the difference between seeking funding from the US, from the EU, from a mixture of both? It is it's basically, I mean, all this conversation was the first thing you're asking or they're asking you to, depending on the technology, basically where they want to be invested. But basically, most of the time what we're seeing that is a lot of uh, seat, preceding seat investment on on Europe. When you were trying to go from, and and there's not that higher, I mean, so, and Series A, but when you need to pass for Series A, most of the investors are looking at to the US market. Uh, and even though some of them, they're actually looking at the Chinese market as well, because they have a different type of culture and of investment. It's something that we, we've been seeing as well, is the culture of investment on, on Europe is a little bit more different than the culture of investment in the US for certain level of technologies. And I think it's a culture thing. Right, so that's what we usually seeing. Most of the people we talk with you is yes, we're planning for then see proceed in Europe, and then if you go to Series A onwards, you actually they know they need to go. Even doing Series A or sit, they need to go to the US for certain number of uh, technologies. Most of the times, to be fairly honest, because basically the, that particular technology or that particular solution is not actually well understood in the in Europe yet, and it's a lot of these things that a lot of the investor community said, oh, I need to see it in the market. I said, yeah, but it's in the market, it's in the US market, right? I said, yeah, but it's not in Europe yet. So when we come in Europe, maybe actually I'm contributing into it, right? 
So it's it's uh, all these um, all these is some of the things we were seeing, and we actually always asking as well, right? Because it's different culture of investment in the U.S. market and than in Europe, the European market. Then it's a question that the U.S. market is inflated, the European market is much more stable. But you actually, when you're in a startup as well, you need to find as well partners that are risk adverse as well. Europe is not risk adverse. If you see, for example, number of IPOs or high valuation companies that happen in Europe compared to the U.S., you will see the U.S. is, even though there has different markets, there's much more risk bears than we are in Europe. So there's always this in the back of every single entrepreneur. I don't know anybody else that actually have done a round basis or a series D, C, D uh, on a startup in Europe with only European funding, right? And Pablo and Tyrion, you probably correct me if I'm wrong, but on the mobility side, on the automotive or connectivity on this area, I don't see that many, even though the OEMs, they don't follow through to a series A. They tend to acquire it after series A, right? Pablo's nodding. So I think you've got <laughs> a vote of confidence there. Tarin, Pablo, any advice from you on um, how you feel about startups attracting investment from both the ES, the US and EU, is it something you would be advising or any advice you might offer to startups on that journey? Yeah, actually, uh, our fund is investing 80% in North America, 20% in Europe. And the way that you invest in the United States is different. Also from the Nordic European countries compared to Spanish startups, is different. The pre-money valuation in the market normally is two million in Spain, six million in UK or Germany, and in the States will be fifteen millions. Just the same one. The difference is uh, if we're giving uh, some uh, money to a startup in the early stage in order to grow, we don't want them to go to the United States. We want them to stay here and to prove that they have they acquire clients and they are tracking the market. If they are in the United States, they have uh, only 380 million consumers until they are done with them and wanted to, to come to Europe. It's going to take them a long time. And by the other side, there's something that I want to criticize about Europe. We are different. That's super rich, a richness part. But at the same time, when once that you're building a startup, maybe in gaming, it's not the same to build it in Spain culturally than in Italy. We do have different types of, um, well, it's not only the language and fiscalities. We're talking also about the, the way that we like to interact with the video game, for example. And you could see that uh, for the United States people, when they look in Europe, they're looking like a, a whole market. And we're not a whole market in Europe. Basically, we want to grow. It's easy to grow in a natural way, then we, we are super happy to help and support those startups that they're in, in, in Europe. They are arriving to Series A and they are starting to have uh, clients in the United States. That's an organic growth that we are going to help them and support them to grow in the States. But we do not like if we are going to give them the money in Europe to, to that they are living and going to the United States because no one in the States is going to be waiting for them and it will take them at least like six months until they get used to the place, get to anyone is waiting for them. That's what we are trying. And we will not give the money because they are going to make a delay 
at least of six months, nine months, more or less, that's the average, until they get in, 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 into the market. So we do not agree, unless that is coming in an organic legal way. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Pablo, before I move on, was there anything you wanted to add on that? Sure. Um, actually, from our portfolio, we have seen a few common transatlantic startup models that emerge that have made our companies succeed in raising venture capital funding from the US. The first one is a, a situation and a scenario where European founders start and build a company which is headquartered in Europe. Then they raise an European seed or a small a, Series A round. After that, they use the proceeds to establish US operations. Usually, this is a small node where they have a sales and marketing lead to start, and they actually aim to capitalize on US customer instruction. And then, once they have proven that they have a successful and scalable model in the US, they can actually raise an US Series A plus B plus C to support continued growth in the US market and, of course, to fuel its expansion. That's number one of the model that we have seen working and being successful. Then we also have another case where an European founder, the same, start and build a company headquartered in Europe. They raise European seed and A rounds, and then they use the proceeds of the A round, which is a bit larger in this, uh, in this particular occasion, to scale up US operations to capitalize on new extraction. And this is when they actually aim to, to, to raise a much larger round in the US where they have actually established full transatlantic capabilities, where they have probably more people in that node, more traction generated, and more support from you know, active shareholders, which can actually take an active role as an advisory member, as a board member, and so on. So these are, in a nutshell, the two cases that we internally have witnessed at EHE Mobility. Thank you for sharing, Pablo. I think that's really important. We like to make sure that in these podcasts and in these conversations, we share kind of real actionable insights that our audiences can take away. So with that in mind, let's have a little think about some of the obstacles that remain or exist for mobility startups and and what solutions we can perhaps create as a, as a group. So Taryn, the first thing I wanted to ask you, please, is what are some of the biggest hurdles that you see startup founders facing when it comes to seeking investment and are there any common errors that you see founders making when looking for investors yeah sure first thing is they need to spend 40 percent of their time seeking for investors so they need to know which is their pre-money valuation in order to reach the proper investor it's nothing doesn't have anything to do a business angel with a family office with an early stage venture capital series a venture capital, corporate venture capital, and private equity. That's the first one, the first point. Secondly, once that they know the pre-money valuation and how is going to be the round and the ticket size, they have to start to select which will be the best investors for their company. They should analyze the investment, the investors, as I said previously. If I'm not investing in blockchains or in cryptocurrencies, don't call me. You just... <laughs> Mm, losing your time and my time is both sides. Remember that it's 40% of your time that you need from your journey to, to go after investors. 
There's another uh, good point that startups should ask to the funds as well. They are not the boss of anyone and you have all the rights to know when they started the investment, the vintage of the fund. If they're in year one, two, three, four, the fund is investing. If they're in year five, they're not investing. They're just going to follow ons. So you're losing your time as well. And it's not any problem if you ask them, which is your vintage? So maybe, okay, if they're in year five and they're not going to be doing any more investments, just make a networking with them for the next round because probably they are thinking in starting to fundraise the second fund or the third fund or the fourth fund. And then you will have an option there. By the other hand, it's important to arrive to the investor previously the need of the money. I mean, if you're coming like your cash flow is going to be completely crash up, come on, you have to make your homework before uh, six months at least to go to all the startups events to get in touch with people like Pablo, like go into this, um, there's, there's an ecosystem in your city for sure, select it, go over there, try to, to make a good networking. Doesn't matter if you're meeting a Series A venture capital, you will need it, not now, but you can ask him or her, hey, do you know any, any business angel here in the room that could be interested? They're going to help you. They're going to refer you. They're going to open the doors to you. And by the other hand, the, you already have someone for the next future over there that you could show them your deck, that you can ask for opinions. And it's very important to start to build up these relationships previously the need. Thank you. Thank you, Tyne. That's really smart advice. I'm scribbling away frantically in the background. So it's not only the importance of doing your due diligence on potential investors, but also the questions that you can be asking them. So thank you very much for sharing that. And Pablo, do you have any advice for founders when approaching investors, common mistakes you see those making or the same advice for investor committees, any common biases or judgments that they should be aware of in themselves? Sure. Um, Seconding on Tarin's comments, I think that the process of fundraising is actually, you know, like taking between 60 to 70% of the full uh, disposable and available time of the CEO of the of, of the startups, unfortunately, because cash is king. So they should actually concentrate between 60 to 80% in both fundraising and sales opportunities. So the same way you actually curate your prospects, your customers, your, you know, potential partners, they should always conduct as well a sub-due diligence on these investors that they have reached out to because otherwise they will lose credibility and trust. Um, we often receive you know, pitch decks from companies operating in the pharma sector, for instance, which, of course, doesn't make any sort of sense for us. Um, that being said, I would like to add that we often see that even in pre-seed and seed stages, we see companies moving too fast. And they are already talking about growing in unknown markets, which will probably hinder the profitable and sustainable growth of the company. So I think that there should be a distinction between growing and scaling up. And the most common distinction between these two terms is that when we think of growth in linear terms, that means that a company, a startup, adds new resources like capital, people, technology, and the revenue, as a consequence, increases. By contrast, scaling is when the revenue increases without a substantial increase in resources. And that's what we are looking for. 
these processes that can scale, where when they are actually done in mass without extra effort. And that's why we are particularly, in some cases, keen on SaaS models, because you have an unlimited inventory, which can actually grow at exponential pace. That being said, after this distinction between growth and scaling up, as I said before, I think that there are companies that want to you know, move too fast and sometimes they lack focus and they don't really like understand and cater to their primary customers, their buyer personas, and then they often struggle after that. And then we often see like entrepreneurs which are somehow trying to handle everything on their own. And they are, we often have one-man shows or solopreneurs, as we call it, which are actually not delegating in terms of business development, in terms of technology or product development, in terms of financial like acumen. So we often look and seek teams which are formed by complementary skills. And of course, where gender balance is actually a must because we at EHR Mobility really want to empower the next generation of European female-driven success stories. And for instance, just to name one program that I didn't mention before, Britt, uh, we are actually running now a program called Supernovas, which is basically a program aiming to promote an entrepreneurial ecosystem where more women can shape the available innovations in the market. And therefore, it articulates a support system where women can enter and scale positions in startups. Well, at the same time, opening up the scope of roles that need to be more populated with women, such as this esteem domain. So again, um, gender balance for us is a must, and we are actually often in, you know, like it, somehow having difficulties to find gender balanced teams. And that's something that we really want to change in the coming years. That's amazing. I know you're going to have a large audience of supporters of the Supernova program, which I'm definitely going to be Googling and investigating after this. So thank you for sharing that. And as we approach the time for us to wrap up, I've got one final quick, fun question for us all. And that's if you had just one five pound or whatever currency with home currency we're talking in note, one horse to back, one final bet, where would you invest in? It can be a com- it can be a company or it can be an area of the future of mobility. Um, Pablo, you're smiling, so I'm going to put this question on you first. But just one bet, where would you put your money? I'm laughing because this response is going to be unpopular. So I would say that I will actually bet a five note, uh, five euro note into something that is actually kind of, you know, the next uh, Web3 domain. Um, I don't know to which extent this will actually be you know, successful or not, but that will be my bet. Amazing. Thank you, Pablo. And how about yourself, Taryn? Where would you put your, your fiver? I, I'm like Pablo. I'm super curious. <laughs> <laughs> and this is something new for me. So like, I'm kind of excited to see what is going on. And I'm like searching and looking now. How it does it work? So I will put it in a sector, metaverse for sure, web free. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Taryn. And how about yourself, David? In tips for supporting the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to tell our listeners to be careful because this isn't where you should be coming for your investment advice. But I know where I'm going to be. <laughs> I know where I'm going to be putting some money after this conversation. So. 
Uh, a big thank you to all of our guests. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with any of you, how is best for them to reach you uh, after hearing this recording? Taryn, can I invite you to share uh, whatever is the best way to follow you or, or get in contact? Uh, from LinkedIn. Shall I send you my details or from my email, Taryn at impulseforwomen.org? And they can amazing thank you we can yeah we could definitely share your uh, linkedin link on our social media posts after this so thank you and how about yourself pablo what's the best are you a twitter man a linkedin man um any other form of social media how's best to reach you um not in instagram i think that the, the best one for me will be actually through linkedin which is my favorite social and professional like uh, platform and of yep. course, through if you just Google investments at EHU.mobility, you will also like come upon with other both uh, generic inbox and personal email address as well. Brilliant. Thank you. As a woman that has been in sales her whole life, LinkedIn has paid all of my bills and I'm also a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, and how about yourself, David? How's best for the Y Mobility audience to reach you? Well, it's link, link, LinkedIn as well, I think. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting used to Twitter yet. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a LinkedIn man. Well. Just a little bit slow to pick up Twitter. That's fine. Well, once again, a huge thank you to all of our guests for today. It's been an amazing conversation. Um Taryn, you mentioned smart money that stuck with me. And I think our audience look for smart conversations and smart guests. And I think the Y Mobility team definitely delivered on that today. So thank you all for being in attendance. And also, of course, a final big thank you to EIT Urban Mobility for sponsoring today's episode and to the Y Mobility team for making today possible. So enjoy the rest of your days. I hope you come back to listen to our future episodes and please do comment and like and share the podcast with your audience. Mm -hmm.